Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. My name is Bob Bradford, and this is another episode in our special series, How Should the Army Run, or H-Star. Today's episode is about how the Army gets ready for the future. How does the Army get the tools needed on future battlefields into the hands of the warfighter? Today, we are joined by Lieutenant General Ross Kaufman. Lieutenant General Kaufman is currently the Deputy Commanding General of U.S. Army Futures Command, and he previously served four years as the Director of the Army's Next Generation Vehicle Cross-Functional Team, an organization established by the Army to accelerate and synchronize capability development processes for armored vehicles. Welcome, General Kaufman. Thank you. I am so fired up to be here. How the Army should run. This is going to be awesome. We've got so many, uh, so many topics. We've got so little time, but uh, if if anything can come out of this, it's going to make our army better, give people pause to think of new ways to cut through bureaucracy. Uh, let's get after it and let's let's really try to help our army through through discovery uh, over the next 30 minutes. Thanks, sir. Also with me is the Army War College's own Professor Lou Yangert, the professor of defense leadership and management and the editor of How the Army Runs the authoritative reference publication that describes the Army's processes and organizations. Welcome, Lou. Thanks, Bob. And uh, I'm really excited to have General Kaufman with us. And uh, he's holding up how the Army runs. Isn't that great? General Kaufman, you've been a key player in the Army's system to design, develop, and field capabilities that the Army needs in the future. Arguably, Futures Command and the cross-functional teams were established to fill a gap in the old Army's old process. Can you describe that gap and how Futures Command is trying to fill that gap? Yeah. So first of all, let's be clear. Prior to Army Futures Command, there were no communists in the United States Army. But over time, what had happened is the requirements writers would take anywhere from four to seven years to write a requirement, get it approved by the chief of staff of the Army, and then would hand it over to the acquisition professionals. And they would take five to seven years to develop a solution for that requirement and deliver a low-rate initial production solution to the Army. And oftentimes, the user community was shocked. They were flabbergasted that this was the solution. And the reason why is that there were not soldiers in the loop through the entire process. We didn't do soldier touch points as often. We didn't have a hand-in-glove scenario where the requirements owners went from supported to supporting the rest of the process. So we threw it over the transcom. We got whatever solution was developed that met every requirement, and it was at best unsatisfying. And at worst, we had failed programs. So if you look at the track record of our uh, requirements community and getting uh, actual equipment into the hands of our most precious resources, our women and men, we, we were not betting, we were not batting a thousand. And so Army Futures Command was stood up to husband the requirement 
from concept to delivery and walk through with our acquisition professionals, with the Army staff, with the other ACOMs, walk through the process of all the way through an AROC to an acquisition decision and to test so that a general officer was keenly focused with the proper authorities and access to ensure success. And as a byproduct of this, where the command was able to, with the rest of the army and support, cut the time from upwards of 14 years to down to as little as three in some cases. So Army Futures Command was making the system work for our soldiers more efficiently and also work with the acquisition community to ensure that they had a partner that was vested from soup to nuts. So, sir, um, you know, fielding capabilities is a, is a team effort. I think that uh, you would validate that based on the, the cross-functional teams. There, there's some other, other teammates that, uh, and some enterprises or communities that might be a little bit more difficult in terms of, uh, in terms of the teamwork. Uh, can you describe the Futures Command's partnership with the acquisition and test and evaluation enterprises? And then once you get done with that, uh, talk a little bit about industry partners and academia. Yeah, so when we started, it was unclear of where the CFT started and stopped, where the proponents started and stopped, where the acquisition community started and stopped, where tests started and stopped. And so it took the entirety of our army to come together and find the right way. And we made some mistakes, I'll be honest, to find the right way so that the requirements and the soldiers are represented throughout the process. The relationship with, with the acquisition community has been great. The ability for me as a CFT director to walk a few, num few number of steps down the hall and talk to the PEO face-to-face -face and say, hey, I've got a good idea. And then that PEO looking me in the eye and saying, that's not a good idea. We've tried that six times before. Okay, and now I go back and we, go, we start looking at it. Or the PEO to walk to us. Or the contracting specialist to come. And the lab. So being in Detroit next to the lab, contracting, TACOM, the PEO, CFT, all in one location. Hey, where you stand is where you sit. And it's been hugely beneficial. Um, now, not all CFTs are in that situation. If you look at uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where we've got the our air defense effort, as well as our long-range precision fires effort, they are hand in glove with the proponent because the proponent is located right next door. And they have to work extremely hard to maintain a good relationship in Detroit, where their PEO is located, okay? or in Huntsville for the air defense community. So that takes additional communication and additional effort. It's not bad, it's just different. And that same thing is true up in Detroit. We had to work very hard to communicate and cooperate with the proponent at Fort Benning. And then when you talk about the science and technology community, that has been a huge success of unifying the proponent, the requirements writers for modernization efforts, 
and the science and technology community so you can see what the future requires and what science and technology monies need to be spent on to attain that for future requirements, future vehicles, future aircraft, future communication. So that whole community of interest has come down to, to really a tight nucleus in each of the CFT's cases of unity of effort. And then in order to get the academic community and the test community uh, within that nucleus, uh, it's taken a lot of communication with academia. You know, industry and academia always want to know, you know, what is the Army working on? How can we help? And we have to get that communication out there so that we can clearly define what the Army is trying to accomplish so both academia and industry can help. And the test community, they are wonderful. They, you know, my initial impression when I came to Army Futures Command was, oh, my goodness, the test community is going to take too long. Uh, they're, they're looking, they're measuring the wrong elements, et cetera, et cetera. I was full of bunk, okay? The test community wants to do it faster. They're looking ways to expedite. They uh, want to ensure that they are a, a separate party that is measuring the whatever equipment that industry delivers because they're the last stop before giving a, a release by AMC to ensure that it meets all of the requirements that we laid out. And if it doesn't, that the Army senior leaders, meaning the chief of staff of the Army as the head requirements uh, signer, understands that, yes, this does not meet this requirement, but overall, this piece of equipment is within the spirit and intent of the requirement, whether it be directed or derived. Thanks, sir. Hey, sir, you mentioned the cross-functional teams. The Army stood up eight. Uh, originally, and now they stood up another one. How, are these uh, enduring organizations? Do you think the Army will have them for a while, uh, or will they disestablish some? Will they establish new ones? How is that organizational structure working? Sure. The, the best thing about the Army uh, in the cross-functional teams is we have preserved decision space for our Army senior leaders. I'll take, for instance, the new contested logistics CFT. Everybody knows that logistics is important. Okay? Any warrior knows that battles are won or lost on many factors, but always whether or not you have the logistics. You know, you need you need gas for tanks. You need artillery ammunition. Infantrymen need three things. They need Copenhagen, water, and hate. You know, you have to be able to put all these things together on the battlefield to have success. And... So standing that up uh, made perfect sense. Those CFTs that have been, without argue, extremely successful and have gotten equipment into a position of irreversible momentum for our soldiers, and once that equipment is delivered, they either need to take on new missions or we repurpose those uh, efforts towards something else. So we can stand them up. We can we can uh, repurpose them. What's what's really key to this though is that we value all of the members of those teams. So no one's going to lose their job. Hey, everyone's still going to have a job, but they may be doing something else for our army. 
And that's what's important. Hey, sir, the, the Army's six modernization priorities, the, the nine CFTs, how do things that don't fall under the, those umbrellas, uh, how does Futures Command support those? Is it, uh, if there's no cross-functional team with people co-located, as you mentioned, how do we get a new Humvee or something like that? A JLTV, whatever the new requirement is for a simple truck. That's a great question. So we have the CDIDs and the ACMs that are with the proponents in, in the TRADOC camps, posts, and stations, right? And those, those elements can generate requirements. And once those requirements are generated, they come to AFC. The, uh, they're at Fort Eustis. All requirements flow through Fort Eustis and get vetted. They go into CAMs and are sent out to the entire Army for comment. And then those comments are adjudicated. And then from Fort Eustis, that requirement is then given to the G8. And the G8 takes it through his process to get it to the AROC for final decision. And so Army Features Command has its hand in every requirement. And it doesn't matter where it's generated from, but that flows from whoever wrote the requirement, whether it's a CFT or an ACM, through FCC there at Fort Eustis, and into the G8 for approval, modification, or there could be a decision that we will not go forward with this requirement. Hey, sir, uh, on that on that point, so that sounds a lot like uh, what I would call the legacy requirement system for, for somebody that's not within a CFT. So is it fair to say that for, you know, for, for programs that are outside that, for requirements that are outside the CFT purview, that we're, we're probably going to take a longer time, uh, you know, possibly the longer time that you talked about when we first started the podcast, uh, in order to do those requirements. And if that's the case, how can we use what we've learned from the CFTs to uh, to shorten those times? Yeah, I think the entire requirements community writ large has learned from the, the CFTs. And not everything can be under a CFT. If everything's important, then nothing's important. So we've seen a, a rapid advance in the timing of requirements written uh, in the traditional manner, because we've learned about soldier touch points, we've learned about uh, streamlining the requirements process through FCC up to the G8. So we can move very rapidly, and we are learning those lessons and applying those. Um, what I found is you got you got a directed requirement, which can move really, really fast, and that doesn't matter who wrote it. And then you have a traditional requirement. And what we're keen on here at the at Army Futures Command is regardless of where that requirement comes from, to have zero fat into getting a decision of whether to proceed. There's lots of ideas that die in the first stage. So before anyone in the Army can start writing a requirement, it has to come up for approval that, yes, we want you to spend Army resources writing this requirement. Many get told no. And that's that's been a huge success because we're saving effort and time as an Army writ large. Thanks, sir. I, a lot of efforts in the requirements process. I'm going to 
spin a little different direction. One of the things Future Command does is it runs Army experiments and uh, Project Convergence. Can you talk a little bit about how that has helped the Army build the force for the future, understand better what the future will need, and understand what is available to help us in the future? Yeah, Project Convergence is a campaign of learning for those of you that don't know. And it it's a series of several experiments over the year with a capstone event uh, every year or every 18 months that pulls together all the technologies that we're working across the Army to solve tactical problems for the future force. And now we've included operational and strategic problems because we've rolled in the joint force and we've rolled in, rolled in coalition partners. This is a six-week ex- experiment that has data collectors, engineers, and soldiers in the dirt evaluating whether or not those technologies did or did not solve the problem that the experiment was designed to solve. And this has been a huge change in the way we do experiments because we are singularly focused as an army for six weeks on a very short list of problems. And we're able to learn from that and determine what decisions senior leaders need to make. And everyone can see with clarity at the end of capstone event what decisions need to be made and a recommendation to Army senior leaders and in some cases joint service leaders of options moving forward, both for funding and azimuth and distance. So, sir, uh, for Project Convergence and and those kinds of experiments, has how has industry played in that? I mean, are 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 we talking about things that are already validated technologies and we're testing them operationally, or uh, is industry showing up with with a capability and saying, "Hey, can we can we play in this? Can we give it a look? Uh, how is that working?" That's a great question. You know, because it is a campaign of learning, the ex- experiment before. Our capstone event is called Gateway. And Gateway is run by DevCom, and it brings industry partners in so they can demonstrate their technology against a known problem set. And that is evaluated. Some of those go straight into the capstone event a few months later, and others need to mature and develop for the following year or the following year. But we are communicating through DevCom to industry problems for industry to solve for us and come up with technical and sometimes non-technical solutions that can be put in the hands of our women and men in uniform. So it sounds like you're, you're using experiments effectively to learn about the future and to get ready for what's might come in the future. I'm going to ask a, a little slightly different question. Uh, last winter, I had the opportunity to go and see you in a a large part of the Army Enterprise there in Austin at the Army Future Readiness Conference um, that General Rainey and uh, Secretary Bush hosted down there in Austin. Um, Can you talk about the Army Future Readiness Conference and and its role and how it synchronizes that capability development for the Army? Yeah, the best thing about the AFRC is it's an Army event. All of the ACOMs are participating in the AFRC. 
And we host and we bring people together to solve unique problems, one of which is Dotline PF integration. Tradoc leads that working group for us to, so that we can understand seven years from now, if we're going to field a piece of equipment uh, to a unit, then we probably need to start building that motor pool today because that takes about seven years. And Tradoc does that better than anybody else on earth. And then we have the Army G3 that looks at the rearm process. And we get everybody in a room and we talk about rearm and who's priority, uh, who's going to get what equipment when. And then we synchronize that as an army. And then we look at mission threads. So if you look at the army campaign plan, there's, there's really mission threads throughout that that have to be solved. And at the AFRC, we look at, I'll give you a simple example. With Intel and Fires, these are all our sensors. This is how they communicate and on what transport. These are all of our effectors. This is how they receive information and on what transport. How do we make sure that those are linked and that when we actually do fire, that the sustainment community understands what the requirement is to resupply the ammunition fired by the artillery? So understanding all of that is a very, very important working group as part of the Army Future Readiness Conference. So it's a huge synchronization event that helps the whole Army run better. So uh, didn't happen the last time we published How the Army Runs, Lou, but maybe it will be in the next one when we talk about it. Yes. So, uh, sir, uh, on that thread, so you've you've been working in this in this space now for for a number of years. Um, how does the army need to change either their, the way they're structured or the processes that they're uh, currently, you know, that are currently in how the army runs, for example, uh, to improve our development of future capabilities? We need to continue to focus on our, on our processes to enable that we not only have a plan to plan, we have a plan to decide, and we have a plan to resource. And those are all different things. So what are our planning efforts? What decisions do Army senior leaders need to make and when? And how are we going to resource both modernization efforts, legacy fleets, and other things, including readiness dollars for Forcecom, so that the Army senior leaders can see everything and make a decision with their eyes wide open rather than some staff officers stovepiping in individual decisions to Army senior leaders, and they can't see the second and third order effects. So we need a holistic view of plan, program, and decide. Thanks, sir. Hey, sir, I, uh, kind of a last question, and then we'll give you some last words. So this question has to do with... Um, what we do here at the War College, we educate leaders for their future. Uh, how can we do that better to prepare them for service and enterprise? Many of them are, like you, are very successful tactical leaders um, that haven't worked at HQDA or at one of the Army commands. Um, how do we prepare them better to operate in that world? Yeah, I wrote a paper on this once uh, when I was in the War College. And it's an idea. I don't know if it's a good one. But 
if we knew where all the war college selectees were going to serve next, and we tailored their education over the year they're in the war college to better prepare them for that next job, I think that that, there's a lot of merit to that. I'll give you an example. If we know that Ross Kaufman is going to command a brigade, and that brigade is going to rotate to Europe, then perhaps Ross Kaufman's War College is a fellowship at UCOM to better understand the environment, to better understand uh, what is happening in current events and future events that are planned so that we can better prepare that leader for what we're going to actually ask them to do. It doesn't have to be the whole year. There's some there's some JPME 2 requirements and there's some other things, but a little bit of planning and a little bit of forethought could really tailor an education for our colonels so that they hit the ground running regardless of where they go next. Well, I think tailorable education is is uh, is a great idea. I, I'm not sure if our commandant read your paper a few years ago before the previous comment wrote, wrote a white paper about that, but but it is something we're trying to get to. It will require the Army to think a little bit farther out about where people are going, as um, probably less than 20% of our students know where they're going next year when they show up. It makes it a little harder. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, it, it would be a Herculean effort by many portions of the Army, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. No, thanks, sir. Hey, sir, uh, any last words you want to make uh, about – Futures Command and, and its role in preparing the Army for the future. When people think about Army Futures Command, General Rainey, I believe, would say we are a servant organization that is dedicated to transforming how our Army fights and wins in the future. And while we field equipment, we're really improving the capabilities of formations. And we want to be formation-based as we look towards 2040 and beyond so that we make the right decisions for our women and men in uniform and ensure dominance in any future battlefield. Thanks, sir. That's that's quite a charge. And I, I think Futures Command is, is well on the way to pushing it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think that's all the time we have for now. Thank you, General Kaufman. It was great speaking with you, and uh, I, I think uh, your words of wisdom, hopefully a lot of people will listen to them, because I think Futures Command is, has a great start to making the Army better, but there's still things we can do to, to be even better. No, thank you all very much for having me. I, I am honored to be your guest, and if ever there's anything that Army Futures or myself can do for you, the War College, or anyone out there, please just say the word. Thank you, sir. And thanks to all for listening in. Please send us your comments and suggestions for this and future podcasts. Meanwhile, you can access the How the Army Runs Reference Guide and other documents covering matters of Army leadership and management on the War Room site under the Reference Materials tab. Please subscribe to A Better Piece on your podcatcher of choice. And once you have, please rate and review this podcast because that's how more people can hear about us so that we can continue to grow this community for conversations like this one. This conversation is over, but we look forward to welcoming you again. Until next time, from the War Room, 
I'm Bob Bradford. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.